Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. We're going to take our text um, from maybe the most famous text in Scripture. And uh, we are going to dive in and see if the gospel still has the power I think it has. We'll start in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. God is with us. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. You hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it came from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus said to him, Aren't you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, We speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and you have received not our witness. If, you have, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man is ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Moses lifted up the serpent. Jesus is still talking, by the way. In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here we go. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved I'm thankful I am saved today he that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes into the light 
lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, that's an interesting phrase, he that doeth truth comes into the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. We will take our text from the very famous passage out of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to talk for a few moments this morning on a subject entitled, You Better Believe It. You Better Believe It. Look at your neighbor and tell him, You Better Believe It. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. I want to thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your only begotten Son to save us. God, the blood still matters. The cross still matters. God, every drop of blood that fell from that cross and fell from your back, it matters. God, it covers a multitude of sins. It cleanses the unrighteous, God. It heals the brokenhearted. God, it gives a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We thank you for the gospel today. We thank you for good news. Though we were lost as sinners, God, you died for us and came to find us and make us whole. We thank you today, Jesus. We take it not for granted that you gave your only son that we may live and may live blessed. God, today as we venture out into your word, I'm asking you for your help this morning. You know where I'm at right now, and you know what I need from you. God, I pray that you speak to your people, even speak to me. God, help us to come to a conviction that is greater than we've ever had before because you said to anyone who believes nothing shall be impossible for them and I know some of us are facing some impossible situations so we're asking you to strengthen our unbelief fix it God that we may have belief in what you've done because we know if we believe in you we shall have everlasting life we give you glory today we ask that you have your way in Jesus name Amen and amen. Can you put your hands together one more time and give God praise? Then you may be seated. Last week, we talked about building. Pastor Rick's text was out of Luke chapter 6, a very famous passage of Scripture. You know it. It was a parable that Jesus told about two men who built a house. They each built their own house. They each built it in the same place. They each used their own, the same materials. They both built a house. One built on the rock and one built on the sand. The strength of the building that was built on the rock was that it had a firm foundation. It had a firm foundation. Both these guys faced the same storm. They faced the same storm. We face storms all the time here. It's interesting to see how when the storm hits certain places, how certain things remain standing and others don't. One thing that doesn't happen And if it does, you'll have to help my ignorance. But from what I've seen, the foundation is never ripped up. 
That's why they put the shelter in the ground usually. Or they make those safe rooms out of the same materials that they make the foundation from. And they make sure it's secured to the foundation. Both these men faced the same storm. One had a foundation. The other did not. The distinction between them was what they were willing to put into it to assure that it indeed had a firm foundation and it was secure. Foundations are important. Foundations are important. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The word destroyed there literally means in the Hebrew, it means ignored or removed. Pastor said this last week, but the problem isn't that the foundation isn't there. I don't know how you were raised, but I know the foundation is there. It's just being ignored, and in some cases, it's trying to be destroyed. I'm not getting many amens, but I know it's true. The world we live in today is attacking the foundation. If the foundation is faulty, everything that's built on top of it is in jeopardy. If the foundation has a crack in it, everything that is built on top of it is in jeopardy. It's at risk. Doesn't matter how nice it was. Doesn't matter how much money you were able to put into it. Doesn't matter if it was built with the best materials. If the foundation is faulty, everything above it is in jeopardy. The foundation, the foundation, the chief principle of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins matters because it reconciles us to the Father. Sin is that thing that separates you from God. This is the gospel message. We were all born sinners. A sinner isn't somebody that carouses on Saturday night. A sinner isn't just the one that gossips in the church lobby. A sinner is more than that. It's greater than your deeds. Because sinning has to do with accuracy. We know this, missing the mark. It's an archer's term. When an archer would pull back and miss, it was called a sin. The point is, we were born needing something to help us with accuracy as it related to our purpose, who we are, and why God sent us. He made us deficient so that we had to lean on him. So we had no other place to turn to. So the chief principle of the message of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins and it's obtained by the simple requirement of believing in him you cannot work out your own righteousness for our righteousness is are as filthy rags in his sight you can't, you are not so good that you impress God. Some of us have a pompous 
uh, perspective of ourselves that we make God proud because of how good we are. I'm not condescending to your goodness. Continue to be good. Amen. Because it's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. But your goodness doesn't impress God. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him as righteousness. Because when a man believes in his heart, it is credited to him as righteousness. Hmm. So the fundamental belief that we have in our gospel message is the forgiveness of sins. And the only way it's obtained is through belief in Jesus Christ. Amen. We receive this gift by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, let's pause for a minute and remember why we are here this morning. Jesus is the Son of God. According to, I believe, the book of Hebrews, he was crucified before the foundations of the world. If that be true, before we were even a thought in God's mind, he already died for us because he knew what was needed for our salvation. God created us to be in relationship with him and to love him, and he knew we would need a dependence on his son Jesus. Jesus is not any God. He is the God. Jesus is not any religion. Jesus is the thing we believe in. Jesus is not any truth. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through Jesus Christ. I fear that we don't preach Jesus anymore because it's at his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It's Jesus that was the healer. It's Jesus that was the miracle worker. It's Jesus that hung on a tree. It's Jesus that walked into hell. And it's Jesus that rose again on the third day. And that is why we are saved. I believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in Hare Krishna. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in any other new age fact you can try to give me. I don't believe in some kind of universal consciousness. I don't believe in any of that mess. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He was the lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. He was the rose of Sharon. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one we need to live our life. It is his blood that covers my sin. It is Jesus that I believe in. And until we remember that he is the chief cornerstone upon which we build our life, our church, and our faith, we are building in vain. You better believe it. To the one who thinks, to the one who thinks, life is a comedy. To the one who feels, life is a tragedy. But to the one who believes, oh, life is victory. <laughs> we can prove, I don't know who quoted that, but it's good. I didn't make that up. 
Here's another quote. I don't know who said it. We can prove our faith by our committal to it and in no other way. Any belief that does not commend the one who holds it is not a real belief. Man, that's good. It is a pseudo-belief. And it might shock some of us profoundly if we were brought suddenly face-to-face with our beliefs and forced to test them in the fires of practical living. If belief doesn't dictate where you go, how you live, how you act, and the decisions you make, then maybe it's not really a belief at all. Maybe it's a cute idea. So here we go in John chapter 3 and Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. We know he's a ruler in the synagogue. He's a chief among Jews. He's got lots of influence. He knows the word of God. He knows the law of God. He knows that he has enough influence and power that he can get people to do things he needs done. He can, with just a few slight words, make somebody feel like they're out of the graces of God. And by the same token, make them feel like they're in the graces of God. And the reason he knows this is because he is a Pharisee. And he knows the word better than they know the word. And in many cases, they can't even read the word. They have to depend on Nicodemus to give them the word. There's some kind of goodness in And I don't mean to condescend to the Pharisees because I'm sure many of them had a lot of goodness in them. But the way Jesus paints them is that they're whitewashed sepulchers full of dead man's bones. They're graveyards is the way he described the Pharisees. So I don't want to condescend to them too bad. That's Jesus' job. Um, But Nicodemus had some kind of goodness in his heart because he was intrigued by Jesus. There was some kind of curiosity that Jesus piqued in him. And the reason I know this is because, first of all, he came at night. He won't make sure nobody saw him coming to Jesus. And, you know, we can be that way sometimes. And I'm not going to belabor that point because we've heard it so many times. That Nicodemus came at night. He came undercover because he was ashamed. He didn't want to get caught by the other Pharisees uh, uh, fellowshipping or, or, or engaging with Jesus, who they did not like. But he had some kind of curiosity because... And so did they, because when he approaches Jesus in our text, he tells them, we know that you are a teacher from God. Because only somebody who God is with can perform the miracles that you're performing. Because only God can do those things. So we know God is with you. I like what Chief reminded me of this morning in the truck as he was driving me over here from the airport. We watch a TV show. Yes, we are sinners in that way. We watch a TV show called Will Trent. And in it, I remember this man said something that was powerful in one of the episodes. He said, there's a difference between what you know and what you believe. Nicodemus tells Jesus, we know that you are from God. But I'm never going to say you are God. And so we know there's this curiosity there. And so Jesus, with all sarcasm and the genius that he is, does everything he can to flabbergast Nicodemus. And he does it all the while just to get to a very simple point. You can't do it on your own. 
all your study and all your knowledge and all your quoting and all your influence ain't going to get you nowhere. Because the one who is saved and the one who should not perish has to believe in me. Let's talk about three points this morning. We're going to talk about the principle of belief. We're going to talk about the problem with belief. And we're going to finish on the power of belief. So at this point, Jesus introduces this new concept to him. We find that redemption does not require a sacrifice anymore. It does not require penance anymore. The law has been fulfilled. And this is what the Pharisees were so up in arms about because the basis for which their whole lives stood was being shaken. What do you do when God gets involved in what you think is all the way right and he says, I need you to turn around? And he tells him, the only requirement is belief. And we know this because when Jesus is speaking to Thomas, he tells him in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10 and verse 9 reads that if thou shalt confess with your mouth, that the Lord, Jesus, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Listen to that. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 3, 4, verse 3 and 4, we quoted it a minute ago. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. It is owed to him. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. What I just told you is you can't work for your salvation. You need Jesus for that. Because if you can work for it, it's owed you. And I'm telling you what, God doesn't owe us a single thing. When I look back over my life and the goodness of God in my life, I, he doesn't owe me another thing. My life could fall to pieces and him never show up and I would still give him praise because of all the goodness he's already done in my life. And I might be the only one that remembers the salvation of God in my life, but I know where I was. I know how low I got. I know how messed up I was and he still came and got me and picked me up. And I'm thankful today because I know in myself I can't attain the righteousness that Jesus requires of me. I can't attain the level of honesty. I can't attain the level of integrity. I can't attain the level of character. I can't attain the level of influence. I can't attain the level of performance. I can't attain the level of production that God expects from me because I don't have it in me. Lest I lean on Jesus, I'll never get there. I need him in my life. better believe it the principle of belief belief 
is an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Belief is trust. It's faith or confidence in someone or something. A distinction I want to draw before we move any forward, any further in this, and, and you have to understand this in order to understand the principle of belief, is that faith and belief are two de- distinctly different things. Faith and belief are two distinctly different things. Faith is an action. Belief is a conviction. Faith is an action. Belief is a conviction. However, the foundation of faith is belief. The foundation of faith is belief. Faith is acting on what you believe. Faith is acting on what you believe. So yes, faith and, and, and belief go hand in hand, but they are not the same thing. That's why the Bible says in James that faith without works is dead. It's not that your works create your righteousness or it, 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 it brings some kind of salvation or riches to you. The point is faith is not faith at all if it doesn't have any works or doing with it because faith is an action. I've, I use this example all the time because it's a good one. The chair, I believe, holds me up. I believe it. I have a conviction to it. But there's no faith in me concerning that chair until I turn around and sit on it. Faith is knowing that when I sit on that chair, it's going to hold me up. That's the difference between belief and faith. I learned that as a teenager, and that truth, that simple truth has guided me through some very difficult situations in my life. Because I know that God's going to hold me up no matter what I go through. I know it, I know it to my core. It's a conviction in my heart. It's a belief I have, but I struggle sometimes to activate the faith in knowing that he's going to keep me through it all. There's a difference. There's a distinct difference between belief and faith. Faith is not predicated on, I mean, belief is not predicated on works. Your faith is. Not that you need the work for salvation or righteousness, but you need Faith Faith has to act before it is faith. For faith to be engaged and the power of faith to be released, you have to do something. Belief happens in your heart. Faith happens through your life. A lot of people believe in Jesus in their heart, but they're actually not accomplishing anything because they're not allowing faith to be projected through their life. Romans 10 verse 9, believe in your heart. It's the center or the seat of your spirit. Jesus said that the Father is seeking those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. Isn't that what he said? In spirit and in truth. In order to believe, you have to believe in your heart, in the center of your spirit. That is the only place you can find truth. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. For you to believe anything, truth has to be involved. For you to believe anything, truth has to be involved. What you accept as truth is what your belief is built on. 
What you accept as truth is what your belief is built on. I heard T.D. Jakes say, you can't change your behavior until you change your belief system. Because your beliefs will dictate your behavior. If you can change what you believe, you can change how you behave. No man ever believes with a true and saving faith unless God inclines his heart to. And no man, when God does incline his heart, can refrain from believing. That's good. So what I just said is that truth has to be involved in your belief system. And your belief system is built upon the truth. That poses a problem. So let's talk about the problem of faith, of belief. There is an outright war on what you believe going on right now. There's an outright there, everyone questions everything. Everything is okay and accepted. Doubt is the beginning of unbelief. When doubt takes up residence, it has just transformed into unbelief. I heard a preacher say that the first sin wasn't that they ate the apple. It was unbelief. Because they stopped believing God. The devil doesn't change the truth into an outright lie. He changes a few things in the truth to make it feel like it's still the truth. That's why somebody can say, I, I'm going to live my truth. And that sounds so good. That sounds so good. But you can't take ownership of truth. Because truth belongs to Jesus. So there is only one truth. There's not your truth. There's not my truth. It's not his truth. It's not our truth. There's only the truth. Truth is not relative. And that's the trick of our culture is to trick you into thinking the truth is relative to the church. It's relative to the school system. It's relative to your gender. It's relative to your behavior. It's relative to politics. It's relative to your political party. Truth is just relative. Truth is not relative. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. You cannot change truth no matter what you feel, think, or how you behave. You can't change truth. The trick of the enemy is to deceive you into not believing without you even knowing what's happening. The thing is, we have a confidence that we believe in Jesus and that we believe he saved us and we believe we are holy and we believe that we're going to live in prosperity and we believe we're going to walk in purpose and then we find some kind of mess in our life and we fall to pieces and what we're saying is, I don't really believe it. I don't really believe it. We don't express faith unless there's a guarantee on the other side. We're too used to looking at the odds. We want to know, is this a favorable bet for me? And we treat it like it's gambling. 
We treat our life and our service unto the Lord like we're gambling on something. something. That's not a good bet. That's not a good bet. That's not how it works. God speaks and we act on his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It implies that there's a belief system already there. And because our conviction is so strong, faith comes by hearing. So we hear it, our conviction is here, and we act on it. But we don't act or we hesitate and therefore we don't experience the fulfillment of the promise. The promise of God cannot be taken from you. The promise of God cannot be stolen from you. The Bible tells us that the promises of God are yes and amen. That means they're yes, they're positive, they're for you. They're, God's giving you access. He's giving you permission. That's what his promise is for. They're yes, they're nothing but building you up. And amen, it means simply it is finished. It's finished, it's settled, that settles it. I said it, that settles it, period. That's the promise of God. The promises of God are that way. The problem is we've been disappointed so many times. We've been let down so many times. We've made so many mistakes in our life that we don't actually have any conviction or belief that, that there's a promise even coming to us. The promise of God cannot be taken from you. It's yours. He said it's yours. If he said it's yours, it don't matter what Aunt Sue, Uncle Joe, Daddy, Mommy, the neighbor, the president, don't matter. That promise belongs to you. Stand on that promise. The problem with belief is simply unbelief and doubt. We even have a character in the Bible that we call Doubting Thomas. Man, he got a bad rap on that. Because here's the thing. The reality is he didn't doubt. The Bible never says he doubted. All he said is, I want to see it for myself. I wish we had more Christians that said, I want to experience it for myself. I'm so happy that God did that in your life, but I want to experience it for myself. I see the goodness of God in you, Everett. I want to experience it for myself. If he did it for you, he can do it for me. I wasn't on time, but he can do it for me. That's why you don't miss church. Thomas missed church and he missed Jesus. So he didn't know that Jesus was alive. So many people, God wants to do a miracle in your life and you're just not present. Jesus showed himself to every one of his disciples, but he didn't show himself to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there. So he didn't go looking for Thomas. He didn't go chasing him down. He didn't go Ask them where Thomas was. That's funny. Jesus shows up to his disciples. He shows them the nails in his hand, the, the hole in the side. He, he breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. Isn't that awesome? He does that. Jesus is amazing. And he never asks about Thomas. He never says, where is he? You know why? Because Thomas belongs to him. He ain't worried about Thomas. Thomas just wasn't there right now. We need two things, we need to learn two things from this past, that, that little idea right there. Number one, we need to make our appointments with God. When God sets appointments with us, we need to make those appointments. We have church on 10 o'clock on every Sunday morning. 
And why is that such an important uh, uh, appointment for you? Because when we gather in his name in this room, God always shows up. What you felt this morning in worship was him. What you feel right now in your heart, that's him. What you're going to feel in a little bit, that's him. And you can't have life, love, prosperity, purpose, healing, deliverance, salvation without him. Second thing is, don't be discouraged if you missed out. Don't be jealous because they got blessed. Don't look down on them and, and start hating on them because God's pouring out a little bit on them. Maybe they were in the right place at the right time and you weren't. All right? So they tell them, Jesus is alive. They're trying to encourage Thomas because they knew Thomas's conviction with regards to Jesus. They knew his conviction. When he's talking about he's going to go to a place that he will show you, I will show you. It's Thomas that speaks up and says, I want to be there too, but how will we know the way? And Jesus reveals to him, I am the way. I am the way. Because of his persistence and his determination to understand what he believed, we got revelations from Jesus we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So watch this. Jesus waits eight days. Eight days. In other words, it wasn't at the scheduled stop the next time. It was a little later than the scheduled stop the next time. And he shows up and Thomas is there. And Thomas touches him. And Thomas makes the first declaration ever made over Jesus in this way. He says, my Lord and my God. He's the first one to acknowledge that he's not just the son of God, but he is God. It wasn't that he doubted. He wanted to stand on his own belief. He wanted to see it for himself. That's what he wanted to see. I want to see it for myself. And Jesus tells him, you're blessed because you saw and you believed. But how blessed are they that didn't see? And they will believe. And he's not condescending. What he's saying is you and me don't get to see Jesus. But we believe. So how blessed are we? We're not, we don't get to touch his hands. But we believe because I know those hands have touched me. We don't get to put our hand in the side, but I know that he's cradled me up against that side when I needed somebody because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he'll get down in the valley, he'll get down in the dirt, and he'll hold me when no one else will. And many more miracles did Jesus do that we couldn't write in this book, but we wrote all these so that you would believe. Powerful verse of scripture in John chapter 20. Problem with belief is doubt, but we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight, we walk by faith. You can't believe in others unless you believe in him. I'm going to get on somebody's doorstep real quick. You can't believe in yourself until you believe in him. Amen. You might have been struggling with that. Having a hard time believing that you're good enough. 
because the voices of your fathers are louder than the voices of the Lord. Telling your name, you're not good enough. You're stupid. You're a piece of garbage. You'll never amount to anything. And the voice of your fathers are speaking louder than the voice of God. There's only the truth. There's only the truth. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the innuendos over your life. Stop believing those evil curses that were spoken over you. That's what they are. They were curses over your life. It ain't some super mystical thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's contrary to the blessing of the Lord, and it's a curse over your life. Jesus did not say that about you. God did not say that about you. You are not an accident. You are here by divine assignment. You are here on purpose. It don't matter how you got here. You are here on purpose. God meant for it. He meant for it. He meant for it. He meant for you to be here. You are a word spoken out of the mouth of God. Believe that. Stand on that conviction. Believe it in your heart because it's the truth. And it don't matter what other truth somebody wants to share with you. That's the truth. Walk in it. You shall know the truth and it shall make you free. It's not just going to set you free. It's going to make you free. It's going to make you free. It ain't going to let nothing else make you. It's going to make you. It ain't going to let the bondage of addiction hold you. It's going to make you free. The problem with belief is doubt, and the enemy wants to slip it in. Be careful. Be careful with false teachers and prophets. False teachers and prophets aren't the ones you can look at and go, that guy's crazy. Nope. False teachers and prophets are like the serpent in Eden. Like our pastor would teach us, that snake it literally means in Hebrew when it was written that he was whispering to them. Like people whisper in your ear to tell you secrets. And it was as if he shared a secret with them because it sounded like the truth. But it had one little, one little perversion in it. And it didn't sound perverted. It sounded like the truth. So they stood on that truth. They accepted that truth and believed it. And their belief turned into faith and they ate the fruit. And when they ate the fruit, they got the result of God's word and realized it wasn't true. It just sounded like it. Be careful with false teachers. They're out there in droves right now. We don't live our Christian life to be happy. 
Happy is a result of serving Jesus, of course. But we're not striving for that. We don't serve the Lord so we can get rich. That's not why we serve God. We don't claim the promises of God to be a nice automobile, even though that's a blessing. That is not why we serve him. God pours out blessing on who he wants because he needs something from that person individually. And if you work the principles of sowing and reaping and working your ground, you will be prosperous because that's how the world works. But that's not why we serve him. Be careful with people that are trying to pat you on the back and pander you all the time. The church has become weak and selfish and looking for what can happen for me. And we forgot why we were here to begin with. Be careful with it. Because once, and the reason I'm adamant about it is because once you subscribe to the baloney, <laughs> you, you act different. Like I said earlier, if I can change your belief system, I can change your behavior. And so we see the church behaving differently. And we wonder why. And it's because they believe differently. They don't have that firmness of conviction. Here's what's so powerful about belief. If you can find the bottom, if you can find the footing, and you get a conviction and a persuasion about that, oh, there's nothing that can get you. Doesn't matter how bad it gets. Because the truth makes you free. It makes you. It makes you free. It makes you free. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. This is Jesus talking. Because their deeds were evil. Evil literally means diseased or their, their deeds were purposeless or or uh, uh, um, they were uh, of a bad nature. That's what evil means. They had a bad nature about them. They weren't rooted in God's good nature. Because God, when God created nature, he said it was good. So they were doing something other than that. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But here's the verse I want to get to. But he that doeth truth, we've been talking about the truth this morning. He that doeth truth comes into the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they, be, that they are wrought in God. It doesn't mean that what you've done in the past can be brought into the light and, and whatever. That's not what that means. It means that when you're walking in that truth, that belief, when you're walking in that, God wants your actions to be seen. Amen. Because your actions are wrought, W-R-R. O-U-G-H-T, in the Lord. The Hebrew word literally means your actions are making gains. They're making improvements. They're producing something. They're building something. Because you're walking in that belief and you're, they are made, your deeds, your actions, which are the result of your faith, your actions and your deeds are your faith manifest. And when your faith is manifest, things begin to happen. And God wants that to be seen. Why does he want that to be seen? Because later he's going to say, you have seen our witness. 
and hurt our testimony. Why is there ever a testimony given? Why are there witnesses? So that we can get to the truth. You shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of your testimony. I need you to see the truth about me. Because if you can see that truth, anything can happen in your life. Because if you can see what God did for me, he can do it for you. And so Jesus tells him, you have to walk in this light, Nicodemus. He, it was as if he was looking at Nicodemus but reaching Paul. Because Nicodemus was a Pharisee and so was Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. And as if he was speaking right through him. Because those three verses, what you do in the evil will be brought into the light. But when you see the light, and Paul saw the light on the road to Arimathea. He saw, I don't remember the road to something. He was on, Damascus. And the, I knew Arimathea is Joseph, by the way. I just got it confused. Um, and so he's on the road to Damascus. And he sees the light, and it brings him into the light. Now we see his deed. And we say, well, why wasn't Paul ever deal with the consequences of killing all those Christians? From my understanding, Paul spent most of his life in prison. So I'm pretty sure he dealt with some consequences. The truth will make you free. Psalm 27, verse 13. I am, this is not Psalm 27, what I'm about to quote. But this is Paul speaking. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. You better believe it. You want power moving in your life? You better believe it. You want God to make some kind of transformation in you? You better believe it. You better find some kind of conviction and fortitude in your life, and you better begin believing it. Psalm 27, verse 13. David is speaking. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David had a revelation. I would have given up. I would have let go. I would have just thrown in the towel. I would have said, I can't do it no more. I would have yielded to the pressure. I would have accepted this sickness. I would have went ahead and let them foreclose on my house. I would have quit my job because I didn't like my boss. I would have given up, but I believed to see. I didn't have to see it. I had a belief in my heart because I stood on the foundation of the truth that I could believe to see the goodness of God. And David has a revelation because he says, wait on the Lord and he'll strengthen your heart because he knows that belief is found in the heart. And time is not the factor when it comes to believing for what God is going to do in your life. Time is not a factor. You can't take time into the equation because God does not operate in time. He is an eternal being and he operates in spirit and in sequence according to how he wants in his good time. The times are in the Father's hand so he gets to dictate it. So you might have to wait on the Lord 
but he will strengthen your heart as long as you believe to see believe to see believe that you will see the goodness of God and David says it strongly in the land of the living when I was a kid I used to think that phrase was so silly didn't make no sense in the land of the living and now I realize it because there's so many Christians that can't wait to get to the sweet by and by and all that means is you're a quitter all that means is you you're done working you did enough for Jesus so let him take me home now let him take you home when he sees fit you have a job to do you are here believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living I don't care how old you are I don't care how many times you failed I don't care how many times you've fallen down I don't care how many times cancer keeps coming back I'm telling you believe to see the goodness of God believe to see the goodness of God wait on the Lord wait on the Lord wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength and you will rise up with wings like eagles and you will run and not grow weary and you will walk and you will not faint because he is with you believe in him believe in him you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living in the land of the living in the land of the living I just dare you to take one moment and look behind you Look back over your life and ask yourself a question. Has God been good to me? Was he there when you were stuck in a ditch? Was he there when you had nothing left? Was he there when you were in that dark room and you just wanted to pull the trigger? Was he there when you, when you made that mistake and you lost everything? Was he there? when he, Did he pick you up? Are you standing in this room? Do you have breath in your lungs? Do you, do you have a praise on your lips? Has he been good to anybody in this room? I need to know if he's been good. We must praise him. We must thank him. We must open our mouth and confess his salvation. Why? Why? Because faith comes by hearing. That's why we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and believe in our hearts. They go hand in hand. You can't have them separate. You can't say, I have a personal relationship with God and that's what it is. No, it's not. It's not a personal relationship with God. It's your relationship with God that he, that he takes personally and he expects you to share it. He expects you to share it. You don't own him. He owns you. Pastor Rick said it awesome last week. He said it awesome. God was never lost. I didn't find him. I didn't find God. People out there searching. I'm searching for truth. I'm searching for myself. You're never going to find yourself out there searching. Go search for the Lord. Go search for Jesus. Go experience him and you'll find yourself. Mark chapter 9, Jesus said unto him, If you can believe, all things are possible. 
to him that believes. And immediately the father of the child who was possessed of a devil and throwing himself in fires cried out and said with tears to the Lord because you can hear the desperation of the father when it came to his son. I'm sorry, but I, I can feel this man right here. He said, Lord, I believe. And he's crying. He's crying because he's saying, God, I know you can do it, but help my unbelief. Woo! I, I want to give up here. I've seen too much. It's hurt too bad. I can't watch this boy go through it no more. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. What he's saying is, God, do something so that I can believe you again. We started this year out the first Sunday of the year, and Pastor Rick preached a message. He's about to start something. And it was all about the first miracle that Jesus did. And at the end of that message, he shared why Jesus did that miracle. He changed water into wine. And, and he shares why because the scripture tells us why in John chapter 2. It tells us why he did the miracle. He did the miracle to manifest his glory. To manifest his glory. And it's his. It belongs to him. But he also did it so that his disciples would believe. It's not that his disciples didn't believe but there were disciples in the room that didn't know they were disciples and they needed to believe to become disciples. So he did it so that his disciples would believe again. I still believe that 2023 is a year of miracles. I still believe we're gonna see miracles in this year. I still believe there's testimonies coming to Quest Church of prosperity, of healing, of breakthrough, of deliverance, of children coming home. I believe that this is going to be a year of miracles. I believe it to my core. Why? Because I believe that some disciples are going to begin believing. I need you to hear my testimony. I need you to hear about the goodness of God in my life. I need you to hear it because I don't know that you're not the next Billy Graham or you're not the next Nikki Cruz or you're not the next evangelist to spread the gospel across America or you're not the next president that's holy and righteous and leading our nation into a better day. I don't know who you are, but I gotta show Jesus through my life. And it only happens if I believe. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you better believe it. You better believe it. Stand to your feet. 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 If you're believing for something, I want you to lift your hands real high right now. You don't need to be in an altar to experience the presence of God. I need you to lift it high. If you're believing God, you know what that thing is. Just begin to cry out to him. Call on him. Tell him, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm believing that my son is going to find Jesus and get saved in Jesus' name. That's what I believe. I believe that my, my sister, my mother, my brother, they're going to be healed in their body in Jesus' name. I need to hear some voices praying. I need to hear some voices praying. God's doing something in the room right now. He's doing it 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 right now. Come on, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the 